Dear and loving Father, we thank you for your watch care, your mercies, your goodness, your protection for us. As we come again to study your word, dear Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to your understanding that we can understand your word. I pray for everyone who will listen to this study. I pray that you'll open their hearts, their mind, their understanding. And I pray, Father, that as they listen and study using their Bible, I pray that the Holy Spirit, that you promise that you'll never leave us comfortless. I pray that the Holy Spirit will enlighten their heart and their mind that they can understand. Forgive us, we pray, for all our sins. Wash us thoroughly and help all of us that as we study and learn, we will be willing to tell others about your love so that you can come. You promise that when this gospel goes into all the world, you will come again. We long for your coming. We will do whatever you lead us to do so that we can finish your work and you can come and we can spend eternity with you. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Our study for this lesson is the sanctuary and part two. And in Psalms chapter 77, verse 13, David said, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, is where God again gave the command to Moses and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instrument thereof, even so shall he make it. So the earthly sanctuary was a pattern of the heavenly sanctuary. And in the book of Hebrews, Paul let us know again that there is a heavenly sanctuary. And we have a high priest, Jesus, who entered into the heavenly sanctuary after his death and resurrection and ascension. And he's now ministering in the heavenly sanctuary. Again, in Numbers chapter 2, here is the layout of the camp of Israel. And if you remember, there's one gate leading into the sanctuary. Here's a gate. There's one gate, and it's on the east. And you're going to see the importance of the east and the gate and the east. Remember when Jesus was on earth, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the gate. The sheep can enter and exit through him, the one gate. Exodus chapter 25, 10-12. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Then in Exodus chapter 25, verse 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. 
So God promised that he would meet with the children of Israel. His presence would be here above on top of the mercy seat, right between the two angels on the mercy seat, the covering cherubim. Now, the garden in Eden. Again, this is just a, a review before we get into the study, but this review is very important. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden, and notice, eastward in Eden. So then, it's not the garden of Eden, it's the garden in Eden. Genesis chapter 3, 23 to 24, after now, Adam and Eve had sinned. This is what God said in verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So notice there was a gate at the east where the cherubims were placed, and then you have this flaming sword. So therefore, when after Adam and Eve sinned and they were placed, they were put out of the garden, they would go and worship at the east, at the gate of the garden. There were two angels there, the angels and also that flaming sword. And you remember in the writing of Paul, Paul said the word of God is like a sword. So the word is the sword. Then John told us that the word became flesh. So you can see, brothers and sisters, as we study, the same setup again with the layout of the camp of Israel, where they would enter through the east, is the same setup that we had in the Garden of Eden. And even after sin came into the world, Adam and Eve would come to the gate at the east of the garden to worship God. Now let's look at the creation of this earth. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then the evening and the morning were the first day. Then in verse 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And the evening and the morning, the second day. Then in verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Now, notice what's going to happen now in the next three days. So on the first day, God made a line. The second day, he made a firmament. The third day, he, he made the dry land. Now, the first day correspond with the fourth day. So on the first day he made light, but now he's going to make the sun, moon, and star. Verse 14, 
And God said, let there be light in the firmament of heaven. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. I'm leaving out some things to let us just see the relationship. The first day goes with the fourth day. Now notice the fifth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life. And fowls that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So on the second day, God did something with the firmament to separate the waters. And on the fifth day, he's filling the waters and he's filling the firmament with birds. Now, Genesis chapter 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God said, let us make man in our image. And then when he finished, the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So on the third day, Genesis chapter 9, God made the dry land. And then on the sixth day, God is filling it. Now let's look at it now pictorially. Day one, God created the light. Day, two, day four, he filled with the sun, moon, and the star. Day two, God created the firmament and water. Day five, God filled the firmament with the birds, and God filled the water with the fish. With the fish. Day three, God created the land, the trees, and the grass. Day six, God filled with animals and man. Day one, God created light. And day four, God filled it with the sun, the moon, and the star, the great, the great lights. Day three, God created the firmament. And day five, God filled it. Day four, God created land, trees, grass. Day six, he filled it. So we can see the relationship. Day one goes with day four. Day three goes with day five. Day four goes with day six. Genesis chapter two. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work. Notice the singular pronoun. God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made, singular pronoun. And God blessed the seventh day, and God sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Seven times. His work. He made. He rested. His work. He made. He rested. His work. Now, in the book of John, chapter 1, John said, in the beginning was the Word. 
The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him, the singular pronoun. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it said, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the, the being who came to this earth to die for man, the Lamb of God, was the Creator. And seven times in the book of Genesis chapter 1, it is telling us that His work, He made it, He rested, His work, He made it, He rested, His work. Notice that the only person who was working was God. So in Genesis chapter 1, it's telling us that God worked and God rested. Adam and Eve did not work. Adam and Eve, they weren't Americans. Adam and Eve weren't Israelites. Adam and Eve weren't Jews. Adam and Eve had not worked. So, therefore, God rested on the Sabbath because he worked. And God did that as an example because now he was going to uh, require or instruct his creatures to rest. And that's why in the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, when Jesus was on earth, the word that became flesh, he said, Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made for man. Now, again, day one relates to day two. Day three has a relationship with day five. Day four has a relationship with day six. Day seven is just a regular day. So what makes this day different? The reason for it is on day seven, God filled it with himself. That's the difference. That's the only difference. I hope and I pray that as you study using your Bible, you will see the relationship. Again, day one, God created a light. Then he filled the space with light. He filled it with the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day three, God created a firmament, firmament and water. Then God filled the firmament and the water with birds and fish. Day four, God created land, the trees, and the grass. And then on day six, God filled it with animals and man. And then God take just the same regular day, number seven, but this time God filled the space with himself. And that's the reason why we keep the Sabbath, because God rested. And in the Exodus chapter 20, Verse 8 through 11, God told Israel to remember 
the Sabbath day. He's pointing them back to creation. For in six days, the Lord, Jesus, the Creator, the Anointed One, the Messiah, created the heaven and the earth. And then he took a regular seventh day, and he didn't fill it with something else. He filled it with himself. It cannot be changed. God blessed it. God sanctified it. God rested. And that's the reason why humans, God's creatures, mankind that God created should keep the Sabbath. Because God himself kept the Sabbath. Now let's continue in our study of the sanctuary. Exodus chapter 27, verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. So here is the altar that we would call the altar of burnt sacrifice, because in this box, a hollowed box, it was made out of wood, but they would burn the sacrifice morning and evening, every day. And whoever sinned and brought their sacrifice, they would burn their sacrifice in this box, a square box. If it was made out of wood, why was it that the altar was not burned up? The reason for it, as it's saying in Exodus chapter 27, verse 1, and then in verse 2 and verse 3, is going to be covered entirely with brass. The brass represents the covering of Jesus' righteousness. The wood represents humanity. If there was just a pinhole in that covering, if the covering did not cover the entire wood, as they burned a sacrifice morning and evening in that box, the box itself would burn up. So, humanity, in order for us to overcome sin, in order for us not to be harmed by the darts of the devil, we must be completely covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Exodus chapter 27, verse 2. And thou shalt make the horns of it on the four corners. His horn shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. So this altar, this altar of burnt sacrifice, had four horns, one horn at each corner. Verse 3, and thou shalt make his pans to receive the ashes, and his shovels, and his basin, and his fish hook, and his fire pan, all the vessel thou shalt make of brass. Now remember again when we did part one of the sanctuary, as you enter into the sanctuary, the articles in the sanctuary, the holy and the most holy place, they were made from silver, and they were made from gold. So as you enter 
through the gate that's on the east, and you start walking towards the sanctuary. The material, the instrument, were made of precious metal, overlaid with more precious metal. The closer you get to where God would be seated on that mercy seat, the more precious the covering of the articles. They were all made out of wood, but the covering became more precious the closer you get to God. Notice in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, this is the father of John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptizer, verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Jesus is that redeemer and has raised up and horn of salvation. So the purpose of the horn, the symbolism of the horn, is that the horn represents salvation. So here is Zechariah saying that God had raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. So since the world began, God has been revealing himself through the sanctuary. And every object in that sanctuary pointed to the fact that the anointed one, the Messiah, would come to die for human beings. Jesus always in the middle. Exodus chapter 27, verse 4 to 5. And thou shalt make for it a great of network of brass. And upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. Verse 5. And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even in the midst of the altar. So here is that network. It had four rings, one ring at each corner, and this network would sit on that ring in the middle of the altar of burnt sacrifice. And that was where the lamb or the meat from the cow would be placed and they would be burned. So that was the purpose of that grating or network. Now, notice the similarity now between the dimension of the mercy seat and this grating, the network. And this is why God kept on saying to Moses over and over, thou shalt make it after the pattern. The dimensions were important. Exodus chapter 25, verse 10 to 12. Make an ark of shaking wood. A cubit and a half is the height thereof. So the height of the ark was one and a half cubits. The mercy seat would be on the top of the ark, one and a half cubits above the floor of the sanctuary. Exodus chapter 27 and verse 1. Thou shalt make an altar 
I'm shitting more. The height thereof shall be three cubits. So the height of the, uh, of the altar of burnt sacrifice from the top to the bottom would be three cubits. Exodus chapter 27, verse 4. And thou shalt make for it a grate of network. That's the grating right here. Verse 5. And thou shalt put it even in the midst of the altar. So here's the altar, three cubits. So how high was the grating? It was one and a half cubit. Now notice as you're studying here. The height of where the, uh, the sacrifice was burned was the same height of the mercy seat. The height of the mercy seat where God's presence was located was the same height of the mercy seat. It's like sacrifice and mercy is equal. That's what God did to save human beings. Sacrifice of Jesus and mercy sitting above the ark that contained the Ten Commandments. They were at the same level. God is as merciful as God is just. Exodus chapter 27, verse 6 through 7. And thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shitting wood, and overlay them with brass. And the stave shall be put in the rings, and the stave shall be upon the side of the altar to bear it. So the altar of burnt sacrifice, just like the ark that contained the Ten Commandments, it was not supposed to be placed on a cart. It was supposed to be carried on the shoulder of the priest. All the articles in the sanctuary were supposed to be carried because all the articles in the sanctuary represented Jesus. And if you remember, when Jesus was going to be crucified, they placed the wood upon his shoulder for him to carry it. And that's why all the articles had staves so that the priests could carry them on the shoulder. The staves should never be taken out. So again, David should never have placed the cart, the ark on a cart. So when Uzzah died for trying to touch the ark, God did not do something that was unusual. They should have known. Brothers and sisters, as you study, and you're studying with the Bible in your hand, remember what Paul said? These things are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world has come. And that's why in the book of Chronicles it said, my people, this is God speaking, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. It's not that they don't have the knowledge, it's that they refuse the knowledge. As we study, make sure that we're studying to know God's requirement. 
the daily sacrifice. Exodus chapter 29, 38 to 39. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. If you remember in part one of the study, we said the light should be continually. The bread should be there continually. The altar of incense should have incense continually. And here now, the offering on the altar of burnt sacrifice should be done morning and evening continually. You, we, you will see the importance of this when we do the study, uh, when you listen to the study in Daniel chapter 7, and we come across the daily. Verse 39, the one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer in the evening. The morning sacrifice was done at the third hour, or nine o'clock in the morning. That sacrifice burned all day until the ninth hour, or three o'clock in the evening. It burned all night until the next morning. The sacrifice was always burning. So that if someone sinned, and they didn't know, or they did not have an opportunity to come right away to the sanctuary to offer an offering for their sin, what the priest would doing, was doing would cover, would serve for them until they come. God is a merciful God. He made provision so that the priest could be offering sacrifice every day, morning and evening, morning until evening, evening until morning, so that when the person sinned, they did not fall over and die. We have a high priest today in heaven ministering for us that if we sin, even before we ask for forgiveness, Jesus is pleading right before his Father for us and that we can get a chance to ask for forgiveness. That's why today people don't fall over and die instantly while they sin. That's why in the Old Testament people didn't fall over and die instantly when they sin because there was always a sacrifice for them. Jesus is that sacrifice. In Mark chapter 15, 22 to 25, and they bring him to the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garment, casting lot upon them, that every man should take. And it was the third hour. So, the morning sacrifice was done at the third hour. Jesus went on the cross at the third hour, at nine o'clock. So again, we can see that the entire sanctuary system just pointed in shadow to the work that Jesus would do. Verse 34, and at the ninth hour, the time for the evening sacrifice, what did the Bible say? Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, 
Eloi, Laba Sabachthani, which is being interpreted. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And the King James Version said, he gave up the ghost. He just died. Notice in verse 38, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. It was torn from the top because it was torn by an unseen hand, an angelic hand. Human beings could not have torn that veil. Remember, in our previous study, the veil was over 15 feet tall. So a human being could not reach up there and tear the veil from top to bottom. So the lamb that was slain at 9 o'clock in the morning represented the fact that Jesus would go on the cross at 9, the third hour. The lamb that died at the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the evening, represented the fact that Jesus would die in the afternoon at 3 o'clock. The veil in the temple where the blood was sprinkled, Paul said, represented Jesus' flesh. So when Jesus died on the cross for humanity, not just for Israel, the veil that represented his flesh was torn, signifying that the service in the earthly sanctuary, according to Daniel chapter 9, came to an end. So Jesus, again, is a sanctuary. The typical sacrifice, just a typical sacrifice. Let's take a typical sacrifice and look how it was done. In Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1, starting in verse 2 to verse 11. We're not going to read everything. I'm going to leave out some of the, the words in each verse so that we can get through the study and it, you know, without it being long. But please take your Bible and read. Starting in verse 2, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when any person bring an offering to the Lord from among you, he is to present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. At the appointed time, it is to be presented in the presence of the Lord so that he may be accepted. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. So when someone had sinned, and brought their animal as a sacrifice, they are supposed to put their hand on the head of that animal, and then they are to uh, confess their sin. Symbolically, the sin was transferred from the person to the animal. Verse 5, then he is to slaughter it. He is to kill the animal. Symbolically now, the animal is dying instead of the person who had sinned. Verse 6, he is to skin the burnt offering and cut it in pieces. Then verse 7, Aaron's son, the priest, are to build a fire on the altar and arrange the wood over the fire. So the fire now would be built on this 
altar. And that's why it's called the altar of sacrifice. Here is the gate at the east. The person would enter through the gate. They would come to the north side. We're going to see later it's going to say they should be on the north side. Verse 8. They are to arrange the pieces. That's Aaron's son, the priest. Verse 10. And then verse 11. Slaughter it at the north side of the altar. Notice that you don't just come in and you can take your lamb anywhere in the court and kill it. You must go over on the north side. Tie the lamb to the horn or the goat or the bull to the horn on the north side of the altar. Then Aaron's son, the priest, are to sprinkle the, its blood around the altar. So they would catch the blood and they would sprinkle the blood at the base of the altar. So that's a typical sacrifice for how a person could get their sins forgiven. You can read more about it in Leviticus chapter 1, 2 to 11. Now, here's another example. We're going to read now in Leviticus chapter 4. So the instruction for the sacrifices, they are found in the book of Leviticus. So now let's start reading in verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 4. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance, if the priest that is anointed, verse 3, do sin according to the sin of the people, so whether it's now the priest or just any person in Israel that sin, verse 4, and he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and shall lay his hand on the bull's head, on the bullock's head. So if it's Aaron or Aaron's uh, family, the priest, they would use a bull. They would put their hand on the head of the bull. They would confess the sin while the hand is on top of the head of the bull. Symbolically, the sin is transferred from the person to the bull, and the bull would die. Verse 5, and the priest that is anointed, notice, anointed, shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil. So in this case, the blood would be sprinkled on the veil. Verse 7, and the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord. Here is the altar of incense here, and here is the veil here. He would sprinkle the blood on the veil. Then he would take some of the blood. He would dip his right finger in the blood and place it, place it on the ark of, on the altar of incense, on the horns of the altar of incense. 
So let's read it again, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the, at the bottom of the altar of burnt, burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So again, here's the altar of burnt offering. The rest of the blood will be poured at the base of the altar. So, every day, blood is being placed, poured out at the base of this altar. Every day, blood is being sprinkled on the veil inside tabernacle. Every day, blood would be placed on the horns of the altar of incense that's inside the tabernacle. Daily, this was done. You can see that after a couple of days, the whole sanctuary, as it were, would be covered with blood. But remember, the sins were transferred from the person to the animal. And the, the blood then would then be representing that sin. So the entire sanctuary the field of blood that contains sin. After a month, after a year, the whole place would be blooded with sin blood. I'm pointing this out because you're going to see the importance when we come to the cleansing of the sanctuary. Leviticus chapter 23, 27, the Day of Atonement, the day when the sanctuary would be cleansed. Cleansed from the accumulation of all the blood, all the sins that were transferred from human beings to the animal, to the blood in the animal, and then these blood were sprinkled. Notice in Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 27. On the 10th day, of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Verse 30, and whatsoever soul it be that doth any work in that same day, that soul will I destroy from among his people. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your soul in the ninth day of the month at eve. From Eve unto Eve shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. Notice, once we go from evening to evening, it's reminding us of Genesis, of the creation. The evening and the morning was what made the day. 
the evening and the morning, the first day, the evening and the morning, the second day, the evening and the morning, the third day. The day did not go from midnight to midnight, what we're doing today. The day, biblical day, not Jewish day, but biblical day at creation, from creation, the day went from evening to morning. So the day of atonement started the evening of the ninth day, and it continued over until the evening of the tenth day. So here we have it, the Day of Atonement. Notice, these are the biblical months. The first month compared to our March. The second month compared to our April May. There were seven yearly Sabbaths. Seven yearly Sabbaths. They were held on specific date. In the seventh month, the tenth day was the day of atonement. Now, notice at this particular year, the tenth day of the month fell on a Friday. That day, God told Moses, should be kept just like a Sabbath. It was a Sabbath. Notice that the yearly Sabbath, here's a yearly Sabbath, the 15th day of the first month. Here's a yearly Sabbath, the 15th day, the 21st day of the first month. Here's another yearly Sabbath, the fourth day of the third month. Here's another yearly Sabbath, the first day of the seventh month. Another, the tenth day of the seventh month. It was on a Friday. Another, the fifteenth day of the seventh month. It was on a Wednesday. Another one, the twenty-second day of the seventh month. It was also on a Wednesday. The yearly Sabbath fell on any day of the week. But at creation, the seventh day Sabbath, here the seventh day Sabbath, the seventh day of every week, it fell at the end of the week. So the yearly Sabbath, there were seven of them. But the weekly Sabbath, they're different from the yearly Sabbath. So on the 10th day of the seventh month was the day of atonement. Now let's see what takes place on the day of atonement. Leviticus chapter 16, 29, 31. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, the tenth day of the month, the tenth day would fall on any day of the week on different years. Sometimes the tenth day could be on a Monday, just like your birthday. birthday. On, at one year, your birthday could be on a Monday because it comes on a date. And the next year, it could be on a Thursday. The next year, it could be on a Wednesday. The next year, it could be on a Sunday because it's on a date. So 
the seventh day of the tenth month, ye shall afflict your soul and do no work at all. Whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourn among you. Notice, if a stranger had joined to, his, to the tribe of Israel, just as how Israel rested on that Sabbath, the stranger was required to rest. These commands were not just for Israel alone. God said you shall have one law for strangers as well as for Israelites. One manner of law. The Ten Commandments apply to humankind. The sacrificial system applied to humankind because the Lamb took away the sin of any person because the Lamb or the Bullock represented Jesus. Verse 30, For on that day shall the priest, the high priest, make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins. So the day of atonement was a cleansing, not for dirt, not because somebody had dirt on them, but because we all have sin. So it was a time for special cleansing. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you. It was on a date. It was not on a day. The day of atonement continued. Leviticus chapter now, 16, we're going to read from verse 4. He shall put on the holy linen coat, that's the high priest, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh. Notice he's going to dress special on this day. And he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. So where would he wash? He would wash here where the lava is located. The priest, this was for the washing so that the priest could put on holy garment. You see, this is just symbolically again of Jesus' death for us. When Jesus died, remember the Bible said the soldier took a spear and pierced his side, and out of that uh, wound came out water. The water represents the washing by the lava, so water came out and blood came out. Blood represents the, the blood that was placed at the sacrifice, the altar of burnt sacrifice. So Jesus is that water that washed. So symbolically as a priest washed, he's looking forward that Jesus would not just shed blood, but actually shed water also for us so that we can wash. We are washed by Jesus' blood and from the water that comes from his wounded side. Continue reading in verse 5. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids 
of the gold for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Continue reading in verse 9. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. So on the Day of Atonement, again, you can read all the, 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 the things that took place on that day, but we want to look specifically here at the cleansing for the people and for the sanctuary on the day. So Aaron is going to take the goat, the Lord's goat, he's going to take it now and he's going to kill it. Now notice now, continue reading in Leviticus chapter 16 in verse 15. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, because it's going to cleanse from sin. That is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil. Notice now the blood is not sprinkled on the veil. The blood is not sprinkled on the veil here. The high priest is going to kill the animal out here. He's going to burn some of the flesh out here, but he's going to take the blood now inside the holy place. He's going to walk and get the, the incense from off the altar of incense. Then he's going to go within the veil, behind the veil, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. Now, as you take your Bible, and you're studying with your Bible in your hand. What is on the mercy seat between the, those two angels is God's presence. Remember what Paul said? God was in Christ reconciling the people unto himself. So notice the entire Godhead is involved in the redemption of human beings from sin that was caused by Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, all human beings come under that penalty of sin. And God in Christ is now reconciling us. He's cleansing us. So the blood symbolically was sprinkled on God. Jesus Christ, who is God, is sacrificed. God the Father, the blood symbolically now is also placed upon him. And that's why Paul said, God in Christ reconciling us, humanity, unto himself. Verse 16. And he shall make, that he is the high priest, and he shall make a, an atonement for the holy place, so notice, the holy place is cleansed from the, from the accumulation of sin. Notice what he said, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. That uncleanness is not dirt. The uncleanness, the only thing that was transferred into the sanctuary, both the holy and the most holy place, the only thing that was transferred in is sin. Continue reading verse 16. Because of their 
transgression, in all their sins. So this is the cleansing of the people and the cleansing of the sanctuary from sin. Continue reading verse 16. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation, the entire tabernacle of the congregation was cleansed from the uncleanness, which is the sin of the people. Verse 17. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement for the holy place. So no person should be in the sanctuary. None of the sons of the high priest. At this point, it was Aaron. But when Aaron died, his son took over from him, Eliezer. When Aaron went into the sanctuary, no Levites, no priest should be in the sanctuary. Only the high priest should be in the sanctuary on the Day of Atonement. We are going to see the importance of this when we do the study or when you review the study on the cleansing of the sanctuary as mentioned in the book on Daniel. Daniel said, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. When the high priest goes into the sanctuary on the day of atonement, there should be no person in any sanctuary. Brothers and sisters, if we have a high priest in heaven, and he's going to go into the most holy place, then how can there be a sanctuary on earth? You know, people think that the earth, the sanctuary is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. We have a denomination today who is saying that they have priests that's offering incense in sanctuaries on earth. Remember what God told Moses. Everything must be made after the pattern because there's a tabernacle in heaven. And just as the earth is sanctuary, when that high priest goes inside the most holy place, no human being, no other person should be in that tabernacle with him. So when our high priest, Jesus Christ, goes into the heavenly tabernacle, there should be no human being in any tabernacle on earth. Again, read verse 17 of Leviticus chapter 16. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement for the most holy place. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15. And he, the high priest, shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord, and make an atonement for it, and shall take out the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it, and hallow it from the uncleanness we saw that, that the uncleanness of the children of Israel were the sins. So when Aaron finished make an atonement for the sanctuary, then he would come back out to the altar of burnt sacrifice. 
he would place some of the blood on the horns of the altar of burnt sacrifice so that he could cleanse it. He, it would be cleansed from all the sins that were placed on it during the year. Then you take the rest of the blood and pour it out at the base of the altar. And all the tabernacle, all the articles in the tabernacle, all the articles on the outer court of the tabernacle, when Aaron did that, everything would be clean. The veil, all those blood spots that accumulated daily, all of it would be clean. All the blood drops that accumulated in the center, representing the sins of the people, all those bloods containing sin that was transferred to the tabernacle every day of the year, on the 10th day of the seventh month, at the day of atonement, the day of cleansing, when Aaron did this, everything was clean. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 20. And when he had made an end, now notice, he had finished all the cleansing. There's no more cleansing now, because everything now has been cleansed. When he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, all those sins that are accumulated that was cleansed, he shall bring the live goat. Remember, there were two goats. The goat that was designated as the Lord's goat, the lot fell on the Lord's goat. That goat was killed. The blood of that goat was for cleansing the tabernacle and everything and cleansing the people. Now, all those sins were transferred into the tabernacle. On the Day of Atonement, all those sins now were symbolically now transferred now to Aaron. Aaron is a high priest. Now, Aaron now is going to come back out of the tabernacle. And he's going to take now that live goat. Verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands after he had finished doing all the cleansing. Everything was clean. The people were clean. Symbolically now, all those sins now is going to be placed on the live goat. The other goat had died to do the cleansing. Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him the iniquity of the children of Israel and all their transgression and all their sins, putting them upon the head of that live goat. And he shall send that live goat away. He shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear on him all the iniquities into a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now, as you study with your Bible in your hand, remember what the Bible said. Without the shedding of blood, 
There is no remission of sin. Notice that the goat that represented the Lord, that goat died. Its blood was shed and it was used for cleansing the sanctuary. Notice that this goat, its blood was not shed. So it's not dying for sin. It was taken away and taken out of the camp. Now we're going to look at the significance of what is called the scapegoat or the hazel goat. The application of the scapegoat. Revelation chapter 20, 1 to 3. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, that one that tempted Adam and Eve, the serpent that was in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Who is, who is it? Notice what he said in verse 2. Which is the devil and Satan, who used to be one of the covering children. And he bound him 1,000 years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should what? Deceive the nations no more till the 1,000 years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose a little season. Notice something in Revelation, the two resurrections. We're going to come and explain again the scapegoat, but we need to look here at this 1,000 years and look at again what's taking place here in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So what are we seeing here, brothers and sisters? Jesus is going to come the second time. When Jesus comes the second time, the righteous dead will be raised. The righteous living will be caught up. That's what Paul is saying in the book of Second Thessalonians. He said, the righteous dead will rise first at the voice of, of the trumpet. Then the righteous living, they will be caught up together and they're going to go to heaven. The Bible said, for 1,000 years. There's going to be 1,000 years between the first resurrection, Revelation chapter 5, and then the second res resurrection. So when Jesus comes, there are going to be two resurrections separated by one thousand years. Now remember, the Bible told us in Revelation chapter 20 that the angel will lay hold of the dragon, that old serpent, the devil and Satan, and will bound him 
1,000 years. So during the 1,000 years, where the righteous are in heaven, Satan will be bound on earth for the same 1,000 years. Remember that the wicked dead, they are not going to come back to life until the end of the 1,000 years. Remember the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes the second time, the wicked dead will be slain by the brightness of his coming. So then, the earth will have no human beings. It will be like a wilderness. The only person that will be alive on earth will be the devil, Satan, and his angel. Now remember, the scapegoat was not killed. The scapegoat was carried to a place not inhabited, just like the earth here is not inhabited. And the scapegoat was left there to just wander up and down. It's the same way when Jesus comes the second time. His brightness slay all the wicked, and all the wicked dead remain dead, and all the righteous living will be taken to heaven, and all the righteous dead will be resurrected in the first resurrection and taken to heaven with the living righteous, and this earth will be depopulated of human beings. And then Satan will be wandering this earth. Symbolically, Satan will be chained to this earth because he has no one to tempt, no one to hustle. He will just be wandering over the broken earth just like that scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. So the symbolism of the scapegoat who never died it represents the devil who for 1,000 years will be wandering over the surface of this broken earth with nobody there to tempt. Now continue in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. Blessed and holy is he that hath a part in the first resurrection. And such the second death had no power. The second death that will be coming at the end of the 1,000 years. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him how long? 1,000 years. Remember Paul said, don't you know that you shall judge even angels? So for that 1,000 years, all the righteous will be in heaven going over the record of all the wicked who are dead on earth. And also, Paul said, we're going to judge angels. We also will go over the record of the devil. And the devil will be punished according to the agreement that the righteous sharing the throne, Jesus, in heaven, for when he comes the second time to give out the punishment. 
So now we read again in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. And when the 1,000 years are passed, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Why? Because we have the second resurrection. With the second resurrection, all the wicked will be raised, and now Satan will have an army of wicked. Notice in verse 8. And shall go out to deceive the nation which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is at the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints, the righteous who were with Jesus in heaven for 1,000 years. Now the new Jerusalem come down. And the beloved city, that the new Jerusalem, and what will happen? Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with the beast and the false prophets are. So when Jesus comes the second time, that's when the wicked dead will be raised and along with Satan and all of those who worship the beast and receive the mark and receive the number of his name and receive the, the, the image of the beast, all will be at that point cast into the lake of fire that burned with brimstone. So brothers and sisters, as you take in your hand and you study your Bible, you will see that everything in the sanctuary pointed to Jesus, the anointed one. John chapter 5, verse 46. Had ye believed Moses, Jesus said, you would have believed me, for Moses, he wrote of me. How did Moses wrote about Jesus? Moses wrote about Jesus because Jesus is a lamb that died and whose blood was placed at the base of this altar. The lamb represented Jesus. And then the flesh of the lamb was burned on this altar of burnt sacrifice. Moses wrote about Jesus because Jesus is that water that cleansed the priests so that they could go into the tabernacle. Moses wrote about Jesus because Jesus is the candlestick, that seven-branch candlestick that gives light. Moses wrote about Jesus because Jesus is that bread, the table with the showbread. Moses wrote about Jesus because Jesus is that incense. Without the incense, the high priest could not go into the most holy place. Moses wrote about Jesus because Jesus is that veil upon whom our sins were placed. The, the blood with the sins were sprinkled on the veil. Moses represented Jesus because Jesus took his blood and he is pleading his blood in the presence of the Father who is in the holy place. So again, in John chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus stood and said, He is the Lamb of God. This is John saying when he looked upon Jesus, said, This is 
the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. And if you continue reading, he said, the Lamb of God that take away the sin of the world. John chapter 6, verse 46. 46. Jesus said, I am that bread of life. In John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered and said, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus is that living water. Jesus is the Lamb, according to John chapter 1. Jesus is the bread, according to John chapter 6. Jesus is the light, according to John chapter 9. Jesus is that living water, according to John chapter 10. If you believe Moses, you will believe Jesus, because you will see by taking your Bible that Jesus was everything in the sanctuary. I ask that you take a look at the study, the two covenants, and the $1,000 challenge to Sunday worship. And you will see when you compare scripture with scripture that Jesus made the new covenant. That new covenant that is written on our heart. And because of that new covenant, we have a right to enter into the new earth. I pray that as you study with your Bible, pray for that enlightenment by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus promised that you would never leave us comfortless, that you will, just like Joshua said, I put before you today life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. Study God's word.